When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'd gone away. There was a change of ownership. I came back and I remember thinking, that ain't gonna last. There's a boycott, sort of fans were boycotting the club. Um, I carried on working there, it was was very difficult. We had Lance drunk on the plane to start off with. The manager saying, um, I'm going to have him, going to send him back on the first plane home. We get there, he doesn't do anything. It was probably one of the worst periods of my life that about six months. Hello listeners and welcome to Pint of Football's Lost Clubs. Our season one finale sees us complete our journey through the history books of some of the UK's lost football clubs with a trip to the west of England into Hereford. This is episode four of Pint of Football's Lost Clubs, Riding the Bulls. The story of Hereford United FC. Hereford United were formed in 1924 in the county town of Herefordshire. They played at Edgar Street for their entire existence. Despite their peak of winning the old third division ahead of much larger sides such as Cardiff City, Sheffield Wednesday and Crystal Palace, the plucky overachievers struggled to compete in the second tier and were relegated the next season, finishing bottom. United continued to be mainstays of the lower leagues despite a nine-season visit to the Conference Premier between 1997 and 2006. Things began to unravel for the club in the 2011-12 season, with a second relegation to a non-league and eventually the Bulls were expelled from the Conference on the 10th of June 2014 due to financial irregularities before eventually folding on the 10th of December 2014 due to failing to comply with investigations into the club's finances. The Phoenix Club, Hereford FC, were formed by the Hereford United Supporters Trust just nine days later. They stormed their way up the amateur leagues in a whirlwind first three seasons, eventually settling in the National League North, where they remain today. 
With the supporters' trust owning a majority share in the club, no individual or business is permitted to own more than 49% of the club, and an average attendance in their inaugural season of 2,836, a figure higher than six Football League two sides, Hereford looks to have secured a future as a sixth-tier club for the foreseeable future, but can they return to their former Football League glory? So here we are again for the first time in what feels like a very long time. Uh, I'm Daz and with me for more Lost Clubs Glory, it's Tom. Who are you? What am I doing here? It does feel like that, doesn't it? Never mind. We're here now and we're ready for some Hereford gold. So I'm going to start off by asking Tom, what do you think of Hereford United? Yeah, I think Hereford United were one of those sort of what I'd nonsensically call big, small clubs, well known to people in the low, fans of the lower divisions, <laughs> people who gamble a lot, I guess. Very strong core support, you know, quite a recognisable brand. I know at my old work at a call centre in Bristol, there was like a sort of um, like a targets board and it was um it was whoever managed the team's like football club was what represented that team and I know there was a Hereford United one there so they reached as far as Central Bristol in um 2010 but yeah one of the sort of classic lower league clubs yeah and um as we know from our first episode with Aldershot it's it's in some ways it's got a lot of similarities hasn't it where it's a fairly small-sized club who sort of treaded the boards of trying to be ambitious and rise up the leagues, but basically just became unsustainable for themselves. Yeah, I think we're basically, we're going to get sort of three stories. The team that were were steady and doing all right, that tried to reach <clears throat> Macclesfield, <coughs> Or people that were taken over by unscrupulous baddies, um, also Macclesfield, and then like really small clubs that have just died from a lack of interest, like Stone Dominoes, sadly. Yeah, but for now, we're here to talk about Hereford. And do you want to tell us, Tom, who we're going to be hearing from on this episode? I certainly can do. We'll be hearing from Rob Purdy, who will be very familiar to Hereford fans. A professional footballer turned firefighter who spent most of his career with Hereford, including some of his twilight years with the current incarnation of the club. And we'll be speaking to Matt Healy, who was the match day announcer for the Bulls and has been on a roller coaster ride whilst working for his beloved club. So, to kick things off, we will share our extended highlights from the interview with Rob as he tells us about the ups and downs of his career, primarily with Hereford United. So, I was, uh, yeah, I was youth team. Youth team at Leicester from nine till I was 19. Dropped all the way down to the conference with Hereford and then spent five years there and we got promoted on the fourth. Um, so I managed to play in the league with them. Darlington for a couple of years, Oldham for a couple of years, although I had a huge injury at Oldham, which means that I was at Oldham for a two-year contract. I left about 16 months into that contract and I hadn't even made a first-team first squad. I had three operations. Um so I came back to Hereford then. Then I got back into League One with Shrewsbury, which was a big thing for me because I'd missed my chance there at Oldham with my injury. Uh, and then, yeah, I uh, went part. Uh, went back to Hereford in the conference and made the leap into part-time when I was about 31, 32. A year with Tamworth, three years back at the new Hereford and uh, 
managed to get three promotions and then changed my career into firefighting, which was a bit of a bit of a big change. If you speak to there's so many players played for Hereford, went away and came back. It's almost like a comfort blanket here. I think this is such a small, well, we're a big city, big-ish city, but we're just cut away from everything else. So it's almost like a family yeah. run. Graham Turner instilled that anyway, a family run club. But yeah, even now, I'm, I'm friends now with some of the fans and stuff, you see. You know, I've obviously had to ingratiate uh, my life into uh, to make friends in a new city, and a lot of them are Hereford fans. Um, so, according to your wiki page, uh, you had four spells at the original Hereford United, including a brief loan. Uh, during each of these stints with the club, did you ever feel worried about their financial situation? Uh, in the first five years under Graham Turner, we weren't paid much as sometimes the cheques would bounce, but we knew the club would always be OK. Well, I went to Darlington for the two years, then across to Oldham. And then when I came back on loan, I came back to a, a club. They were still in League Two, so they'd gone up and down, but they were in League Two, so same league, same fan base, and there were players on double what I'd been offered. And I remember thinking, wow, I'm surprised at that. I remember thinking, where are they getting the money from? On top of that, all these players that had come in from different places, they were getting their two-bedroom apartments paid for with Sky and bills and everything like that. And I was thinking... God, I remember when I was 19 at Erifd, I was on, I think it was £115 a week and told I've got to pay £70 a week for digs. Um, so, you know, so I'd gone away. There was a change of ownership. And I came back and I remember thinking, that ain't going to last. Uh, so the warning signs were there. So people say, you, were, you know, we got relegated and that's where the money trouble started. It wasn't. We could have stayed in League Two for a couple of seasons and we still would have gone bust because the wages were just too high. Bad decisions were made. I remember one lad said to me, centre-half, he was probably about top earner. And I remember he said to me, uh, he was offered a 10% increase or 10% decrease in wage, depending on whether they get promoted or uh, relegated. And he said, why would I gamble with that? So I just said, no, my wage will stay the same regardless, because he knew we were never going to get promoted. We just finished third bottom. And then we got relegated. So he's now on 1500 pounds in the conference. As soon as I came back, I knew that, the, the club were going to struggle. Uh, and then obviously I went Shrewsbury, came back again. And even the wage they offered me then, they were in the conference. And the wage they offered me then, I was a bit like, I remember thinking, I think I even said to the to the to to my agent, like, I was like, have they got enough money for this? And he said, well, they, they, they seem quite happy enough. There'll be three or four people on that wage as well. So I was like, oh, okay, then no problem. And it was just a snowball effect. They just, uh, they, they were never going to recover from those wages in League Two. Wow. But Hereford never were a high-paying team, never were. But for some reason, when they changed ownership, I just don't I don't think they quite understood the business model. You know, if, you, if you've never been involved in a club in football, and some people say, oh, well, you can get this sponsorship, this sponsorship, you probably think, oh, it's going to be amazing. Yeah, but we were pretty much doomed from when Graham Turner left. Did you feel that two promotions in three years between 2006 and 2008 played a part in the financial woes that would follow? Yes and no. I mean, Hereford overachieved to get to League One. They got to League One too early. You know, we had one season in League Two and then they went up the next season. They went up on uh, loan players, young lads like Gary Hooper, uh, Tiamani Diragaga, Theo Robinson, who've gone to have really good careers. And I think maybe when the new people came in, David Keat, they probably saw it as, you know, well, we'll push to get back up to League One. 
And Hereford, we're, we're, we're a League Two team. You know, we're a League Two club. And even, even nowadays, now we've lost the last five, six years or whatever, you know, other clubs are starting to overtake us with new grounds and things like that. And I think they probably set their aspirations a bit too high. It should have just been we're taking over a good club with a bit of money in the bank. Let's just tick along for a couple of years, flirt with playoffs if we get lucky and stuff like that, and then build. Whereas I think they just went straight away and go, let's get back into League One. Because they were fans, you know, David Keith was a Hereford fan. And uh, I think he probably thought, I'll be the hero. You know, I'll get us back to League One. Let's put some money in it. Let's use all the money in the bank. We'll go back up. We stayed up on the last day of the season. And then it, then it got, then it all changed ownerships. Uh, they got kicked out of the league to the, I think, the, I think the Southern Prem. Um, and uh, I'd gone in and said, look, I'm happy to help rebuild the team. They wanted a totally different direction. Guys from London, they were, and they had no interest. They, they wanted it for the land. It was all a big, messy thing. But yeah, I became youth team manager. So the youth team was one of those education uh, packages. And the players would train full time, three, four times a week, we'd have a game. So I was close to them. Uh, I had a few arguments with the management and the owners and stuff. And actually, the, the day when it actually got wound up was our Christmas do with the youth team, well, the, the coaches. So we were out in the afternoon having a few beers and then we got the, we saw it all come out, you see, that they'd been wound up and that was it. So we actually had to walk down to the ground and uh, all the fans were there trying to get into the ground to, you know, to say, you know, it's our, our club again now because there was a huge fight between the fans and the, and the owners. Um, but I think uh, for me, it got to a point where it had to happen. So um, it needed doing, it needed doing that, that, uh, that July to December before they got wound up is pretty much just been deleted from any, every Hereford fan's memory. It just didn't happen. It was expunged from it because of how the owners had tried to run the club. So when David Keats sold the club, he sold it to this guy, uh, a Gombar, London businessman he was, who was interested in football. Turns out he wanted to get the leases for the ground around and develop. I think he wanted to get a football club on the side of it, but that wasn't as interesting. He didn't buy into Hereford. Um, but David Keat as well, the fans turned against him and he could have sold it to the fans group that in, in effect then started the new club. But because there was such a breakdown between him and the fans and he was getting abused at games and things like that, he kind of turned his back on the fans and said, well, no, you're not having it then. I'll send it to this guy. So that's why the fans ended up sort of like deserting the club. From the players' points of view, was it business as usual whilst it was all going on? So, yeah, so the so the season we stayed up against Oldershot, we would stop getting paid properly. Because we weren't getting paid properly, the PFA took a while to step in. Now, they have to draw the line at some point. I know, I understand that. And there's probably bigger fish to fry than, than a conference team. Uh, and I think, I remember actually, David Keat, the chairman, even he gave us new little side contracts to sign so that if we stayed up, each player would get a bonus. Um, to almost like kind of say, I need you to keep going for the club. Um, that didn't come to fruition. We stayed up and the new guy had to come in and pay us. Um, but he, that was just null and void. It was just kind of like a little piece of paper that had been, that could be tossed out. Um, but what it does is it separates the people, that are, the players that are willing to just knuckle down and do their job and the players that don't care. You know, there was one lad, he, we were really struggling and we had Barnet away. And um, I think we were 2-0 down after about 15 minutes and he went off with concussion. And then he went out that night for his brother's birthday in London, you know, and it was a bit like, okay, so 
are you really injured or, or what? So what, what, we had, what happened was Martin Foyle left, got sacked, and they brought in Peter Beadle, and he just filtered all of them out. No allegiances to mates or players, experience made nothing. It's like, if you want to work hard and try and keep the team up, then do it. And we were kind of trying to keep Hereford up because we knew that if we didn't, then the club would be gone. So um, a hard worker and uh, a nice guy to interview. We were really lucky to uh, get Rob on there. Definitely defines club legend, wouldn't you say, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting what Rob said about it being a comfort blanket club, because um, I think I've said this before on this series. I spend a lot of time just walking around Wikipedia looking at obscure players that might have played for Rovers on loan like 15 years ago. And the same sort of like clubs do keep cropping up. Um, one of them one of them is Macclesfield Town, which just seems to try anyone. Rovers had a long time where they were basically a retirement home and we're sort of getting that way again now. Um, Russian and Diamonds was one. And yeah, Hereford also. Um, but it's interesting that when they have re- when they reformed, a lot of players came back, even though they were very, very low down. I think they were made to restart as low as they possibly could. So it's, I think it's one where there were players that still probably had some left in the tank that were more than happy to go back. And it's it's quite interesting as well that each time he went back, the wage bill for the club had risen by staggering amounts. But also it sounds as though on at least two of the occasions, his own wage had gone up, which when you're falling downwards must be quite a surreal thing. I don't think it's just not something you're going to question, is it? Like mm. you expect the, I guess you expect the money men to know what they've got to work with. I think um, like when we interviewed Kudumbaya for Oldershot, I think we said to him like, you know, how sort of aware were you that things were going wrong around you? And he said, not really, to be honest, because I was just concentrating on my game. Yeah, I suppose. And he said Hereford should be a League mm, Two club. Totally. And from an ambition point of view, when you get to be a League Two club, are you happy with that? No one wants to just like model on and be a League Two club. Um, you know, I've argued this with you before. I, I think Macclesfield should be a conference club and it always goes wrong for them when they try and reach beyond that. So, yeah, I mean, I guess as a fan, you always want to see the club kicking on, but there's always something to be said for, you know, maintaining a sustainable level. I know it's not exciting, but it's better than not having a club at all. I mean, the I think the peak example of this is Yeovil Town. Yes. Because yes. they, they were always a non-league team. Like, then it's a tiny, tiny town. It doesn't have a catchment area where it can attract fans from all over Somerset. And they, I don't know, I don't know if they spent lots of money. I don't really know the full story of it, but they got out of the conference into League Two for a bit. And then they just went on this insane bull run to the championship. Yeah. And they had one season in the championship, obviously got relegated. They reached too far and now they're back in the conference. So, yeah, with many of the fans and players deserting the club due to their poor ownership, we now find out what it was like being a staff member at the club. Here is Matt Healy. 
my first um my first actual game was against Scarborough. Um I think we lost one nil. It was a pretty pretty awful game. Um so the first one I, I do remember. Um around about that time Richard O'Kelly had come on to help Graham Turner. So Graham Turner was the he was the manager, he was the the owner of the club, he did everything. And Richard O'Kelly came on to to be his coach. Now Richard O'Kelly is now Aston Villa with Dean Smith. Um, but Richard O'Kelly brought in this really positive way of coaching, this kind of the um, philosophical way of doing things and not giving players ear bashings. And Hereford then had um, signed a lot of young players released from higher level clubs like, like Rob Purdy. And um, seeing that that kind of team evolve and it was tweaked and it was changed. But from 2002 to 2009, um, Hereford was, was always a, on, a club on the up. So we've gone from conference to, to what was or what is now League One. Um, so we, we played Leeds and Leicester. Um, we, we beat Leeds at Edgar Street in the League 2 now. It's just, just to think how you know we did that. And it's just so so weird. So it's so about actual kind of period of going up to League One was fantastic. Um, you know, winning promotion to the Football League. We, we played Morecambe in the, in the playoffs. Um, 3-2 at, at Hereford. 4-3 on aggregate and a guy called Guillapua scored the winning goal and I remember when he scored just looking over to the meadow end and it was absolutely bangs he was like why and like doing like the you know the, the third goal scorer for Hereford United number 10 Guillapua and just that yeah, oh that was fantastic that that was probably my, my best memory um, in terms of a match but just that whole kind of era it was great and being on the, the same level playing field as Leicester and, and Leeds United, you know, was fantastic. And we played Leeds on a Tuesday and they brought like 2,000 fans. Cold Tuesday in February, massive club. You know, I, I remember they'd won the league, uh, what's sorry, now um, Premier League, what was Division One? Um, was it 92? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was just amazing. And to, to be on the same, you know, Hereford on the same pitch as Leeds, same level was, was, was brilliant. So that was probably the, the highlight. And then it all, kind of went a bit wrong moving on to a, a slightly uh, more depressing point um could you pinpoint a specific time frame or sequence of events that you feel led to the ultimate demise of Hereford United yeah it's quite a few things it was uh it, it was a, a bit of a spiral so Graham Turner left um May 2010 so he he, he sold the club and he then went and managed Shrewsbury Town who he'd managed in the, the 70s and 80s. So um, he sold the club to a, a local fella called uh, David Keat, who was a um, successful businessman. He'd, uh, he'd got a variety of businesses. He'd, he'd run a school as well, um, a successful guy. Uh, and uh, he came on board and um, took the club on. Uh, they appointed um, Simon Davy as manager, ex-Barnsley. So... He, he, his stock was high because when he was at Barnsley, he'd, uh, I think they beat Chelsea in the FA Cup, got to the semi-finals. Oh, yeah, I think I remember that. He'd been at Darlington and they appointed him as manager. Big fanfare. Players were signed on two-year contracts. Um, first game of the season, we beat Crew 1-0. All started well. And then it just, just capitulated, kept losing. The crowds then were, uh, dipped. They were below 2,000. Um, they gave Simon Davey 10 games and he was sacked. Gets a payoff. His assistant gets a payoff. So Jamie Pittman was the physio. So they put him in charge and did a great job. Kept us up. Um, 
but then they gave him a two-year contract. So the next season, we had an awful start. And then Gary Peters came in, who was, I think he was ex-Preston manager. Um, they didn't see eye to eye and then trying to sign players and contracts and then got relegated. Um, so when you get relegated, you get the parachute money, but you still got players on decent, decent money. And then when you're not winning, the crowds go down. Uh, and then what do you do? Do you throw more money at it um, in the, in, you know, in the, in the thinking that you'll start winning games, you throw more money at it, but it's still not working. Crowds are going down. So in, and then in the, in the national league, um, and then, then the playoffs were different. I think it's top, no top team goes up, doesn't it? Six playoff. Well, back then it was four playoffs, so we finished mm. six. And then it's just a case of the fans aren't coming through the turnstiles. You're paying money for for contracts. Um, so there were talks that the support trust were going to buy the club. Um, he sold the club to a, a, an Essex businessman called Tommy Agomba, who was a convicted criminal. Um, bit of a character probably the <laughs> best way to describe him there's a guy called Andy Lonsdale there as well uh, and then what happened Tommy Gomba had to pay the National League a bond to say that Hereford could complete the season um, he didn't do that so Hereford then got relegated two leagues so into the Southern League and then as soon as he didn't do that he just completely lost the, the supporters um, and then they they bought in bought in young players who sold the dream there's a boycott sort of fans were boycotting the club um i carried on working there it was very difficult um and then what you know we were getting crates of three four hundred and you know the, the the tax bill was was looming and basically that's what happened it got liquidated um 19th of december so you were halfway through a season in the southern league yeah we, um, yeah we weren't doing that bad um there's a guy called John Taylor was a manager and there was one period at that time where they won six games on the bounce. Nice. And there was some de- there was some decent players, but the problem was it was it was horrific because you you had supporters boycotting, supporters that were still going, you had uh, the, the arguments and but my take on it was I couldn't see that football club get killed. Yeah. That was my that was my thing. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, we don't want people running the football club that are criminals and you know, the way they go about it and they weren't paying wages. And it was just a complete mess. It was it was horrible. You know, people were saying that they wanted to take the leases to, to knock the ground down and build on there. Um, so you can see everybody's point of view, but it was horrible. It was probably one of the worst periods of my life that, that six months. Because yeah, for it sure. was horrific. Yeah, it was just it was just horrible. And then when, when the club was wound up, um, it was just a case of securing Edgar Street. I, I knew that if I knew a Phoenix club would start again, but the important thing was to keep Edgar Street. If you go back to Edgar yeah. Street, it was going to be fine. Um, so what happened was the leases that the club owned. So what David Keat had done is he bought the leases back. So if any development had, had happened, the club would have got the money. Um, those leases went back to the council. Um, so they, they own the leases now, but they, they gave Hereford um, a, a lease. I think it was a five-year lease to start with, and then they've extended it. But um, it means they're still playing at Edgar Street, but they don't own... The uh, the redevelopment rights. So fair enough. Bit of a shame that, but um, but yeah. yeah. Well, what 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 was really good was when Hereford FC started. Um, Rob Purdy was one of the first signings who played for Hereford United, and then Ryan Green signed into the first back the September of the first season. So you had that kind of 
the torch carrying on with with Ryan Green and Rob Purdy, who were massively successful at Hereford United, and then they were now playing Hereford FC. So you had that as well, which was that was nice, really yeah. So it seems like Matt definitely had um, a bit of a roller coaster ride with the old club. He he obviously saw them very much at their highest, as he mentioned, being in the same league as Leeds and Leicester, but then also had the unfortunate situation of having to work there whilst all of his mates and pals were boycotting. Yeah, I I I, I do sort of understand that. There's um there's a couple of people that are staying away from Rovers at the moment because of Joey Barton and um you know you've got to you've got to respect both sides cuz you know cuz when when Matt said i couldn't you know see the football club die well ultimately it did boycott or no boycott but but without people who say that they'll never walk away regardless there wouldn't be phoenix clubs so you know like the continuity is important so it's good that there are those never say die people for some people particularly the owners who are obviously the people that are the money people, uh, the very, very small light of staying in the EFL is perhaps for the person who's in charge enough to just keep it going. So that leads us nicely. We're going to move on to ask Rob about Hereford's relegation season in 2012, because this um, is obviously quite a specific and enlightening story about the latter years of the old club. Well, I can tell you the reason why we got relegated that season. Okay. And it started, it started in pre-season and it ended sort of well, it just carried on throughout the season. And it was just like the whole season was just a mess. I mean, when you know when like people say you don't want a relegation on your CV. So yeah. we got relegated that season. I think six of us got a move to League One. That's how good that squad was. <sighs> Um, you know, most teams, you get relegated. If you're lucky, you might scrape another team in that league. But six of us were playing in League One next year. Um, but the way it all fell down was just attitude, management and everything. We went to Mercer pre-season. Um, it was supposed to be a big tour. We just finished third bottom the season before. So it was like kind of get the new squad together, go down, go over to Mercia in, um, in Spain uh, team bonding, everything like that. We get there, and it was just we had lads drunk on the plane to start off with. Oh, uh, the manager saying, um, "I'm going to have, I'm going to send them back on the first plane home." We get there, he doesn't do anything. Uh, we go out in Mercia for a night. I think it's like Thursday night. There's no one out. We're just a few locals who don't like the fact that there's 20 English idiots out drinking. We get on the coach and there was, I think, three separate punch-ups on the coach between the players. Uh, oh, my God. You had two players starting an argument like with one lad who started crying. Then we get back to the hotel and those two start having a fight. Another one joins in that fight. Then you've got two other players trying to smash a glass door to get to each other. Um, with little James McQuilkin trying to pull one of them back, which is just like a flipping fly on a back of a lion, right? And I remember thinking, this is just a nightmare. And I looked and the management team were just stood watching us laughing. 
And I remember thinking, this season is <laughs> not going to go well. And then that season, it was just mess up after mess up after mess up. We had we had a guy come in called Gary Peters, whose philosophy in football is you give the ball away to win it back in a better area. So his philosophy huh. was you kick it as far as you can. And that was what he said. We'll, and I remember saying to him, but there's no one there. You still want me to do it? He's like, yeah, we'll give it away. Then we can win it back in a better area. I'm like, why can't we just keep the ball and not have to win it back? Uh, we, had the, we, had the, we had the manager, and then I think that was about 12 games left. And the manager had learned this from Graham Turner. So when he came out with it, I thought, perfect. This is exactly what we need. He came out with a board and had 12 games in it, but the last 12 games of the season. And then Graham Turner used to do it. And Graham Turner used to say, right, so in those three games, let's win four points. You know, you look at the games and think, tough games, let's win four points in those four games. So I thought that's what the manager was going to do. So he gets his ball out. And we've got Swindon away first game and they're uh, top of the league Swindon. So 12 games left, the first one Swindon away goes, right, let's see how we're going to stay up. And you look, this is a Friday, so the day before we're travelling over to Swindon. Swindon tomorrow, for me, we'll lose that. And he put an L next to it. What? <laughs> I just could, I, I lost my head. So I'm at the front. I was captain at the time as well. So I've got, whoa, 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 whoa. Pitts, name James Pittman. Pitts, you can't go into a game thinking that we're going to lose it. And he threw his pen at me. All right, then what do you want to do? Angry straight away. So I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like, right, let's, and I said about, you know, break it up into three games each. Let's get four points. And that's how he goes, I'll tell you what we'll do. Picks his pen back up. We'll put the games that we're going to win. He went down those 12 games. We were only winning two. So it was just like, we went into the next 12 games like, well, this is just pointless, you know. Like I say, some of us have the right attitude. But yeah, he went down these 12 games and we only got <laughs> double for two games. And then he went back to the top and put a couple of draws in. And in the end, we didn't have enough points to stay up from what he'd started. But it was that type of thing. So players' attitudes are a huge thing about football. And if you think, as I say, like uh, the amount of those players that stayed, that stayed in the league and went to League One from that, and a lot of the other players stayed in League Two as well. We had such a good squad, really, really good squad, and played them onto our decent careers. But just that attitude and that like management of players, it just showed me what a good manager can do with a group of players. And um, to go to Mercy at the start of the season and have three separate fights between the squad, and you just all kind of stood there with your arms folded, laughing. It just set the tone. Um, but yeah, that was that was the reason why Hereford fell out of the league. So now nowadays you get Amazon and Netflix doing these um, behind the scenes, <laughs> this is what really happens at football clubs documentaries. Back then they would have had a field day. Imagine if they'd have gone on that tour to Spain. <sighs> that would have been so good. What you want to do is spend a spend a year with Hereford or a club that's any lower league club. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I just the the one that sticks out is um, there being three fist fights between players on the same side on a coach and all the management team are just pissing themselves laughing. You're not until when are there, are you? That that sort of old saying of what happens on tour stays on tour, but if you then go and get relegated and then liquidated within a couple of seasons, <laughs> it's really not, it's not a laughing matter, is it? Yeah, well, clearly it didn't stay on tour. And like um, Rob said, there were some good individual players knocking around the team. Um, I think 
does this seem like a case of bad management as well as bad ownership? Definitely quite a few times I've seen over the years where they've used the phrase, the team was is too good to go down. And it mm-hmm. often happens in in the higher divisions <coughs> where like the year Leeds actually looked like went down from the premiership. They had World Cup winner, Roque Junior, centre back. The team was full of international players, but very similar to this. If it's bad management, the finances aren't right, no one's happy at the club, and it's just egos, which it sounds like this was, then there's no such thing as being too good to go down, is there? It's just all about how you run your team, and it's catching up with some clubs, and obviously it caught up with Hereford. So, to summarise then, we obviously have found out what went wrong with the old Hereford. Rob and Matt both gave us some really honest views on how the club they loved faded away. Thankfully, though, they were back up and running very soon afterwards and uh, at the moment in a decent and stable position. However, as with any Phoenix club, there's always going to be casualties and some of those who supported the boycott of the old club are not on board with the new incarnation, which seems ludicrous to me. But we're going to finish off with Matt telling us about some of the real tough times he went through during those final chapters at the old club. We'd like to offer a big thanks for tuning in to Pint of Football's Lost Clubs. That's the end of season one. You probably just about hear Tom crying in the background as we've dug through the history of Aldershot, Stone Dominoes, Osset Albion and Town, and now, of course, Hereford. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, please do head over to Sports Social and check them out as well as our In The Mix and The Ground Crawlers content. When you said you were obviously working for um, United up until the end because of that feeling of not wanting to give up on the club, um, do you feel that like other people who you knew, either from the club or fans or whatever, um, do you think they... Uh, how do you think they would have felt knowing you were still working there? Do you think they like just were sympathetic to your situation or did they say, oh, you should walk away? Or did you have any like awkward conversations or situations that brewed up because of being still there? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I never said anything to my face. So I never had any any problems to my face. Never. Um, social media was pretty brutal. Um, there's quite a few things that were said. Um, but but no one ever said anything to my face. Um, it's funny. I, I, there's, a, there's a guy that I was friends with. Uh, we did hospital radio together, and um, you know we don't speak anymore um, because he was he was getting quite abusive on, on social media. He was um, writing on my wall on Facebook like abuse. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like come on, mate. Um, so I blocked him. Um, but yeah, it's just weird. No one ever no, no one ever called me up. No one ever said anything to my face. But it was all on, you know, Twitter and, and Facebook. Um, but you know, I made the decision. Um, they always paid me. I, I was still paid. They, they never, you know, they never, they never didn't pay me. Uh, and then the money that I did get paid, because I knew what was going to happen. I knew the club's going to liquidate it because it couldn't sustain um, crowds of three or four hundred and and, and, the, and the, the the boycott around the, the city. Um, I could, I knew it was going to go by Christmas. <clears throat> So all that money that I was paid, I put in an envelope and then donated it to the supporters trust as a as a bit of a you know a bit of a 
kickstart for the new club. It's only a couple of hundred quid, but um, oh, you know, it all helps on it. <laughs> but, but yeah, but yeah. While, while there's an outside chance of you know saving the name, then I think it is the right thing to do. Like no matter how bad it gets, I don't, I don't, I don't know about doing a support boycott while there's still a chance to save it. Like, um, yeah, I don't know if a lot of things about it. It's, it's Chester because Chester um, Chester City got liquidated uh, and they boycotted. I think Stephen Vaughan was the chairman at the time, and he he, he you know he's a bit of a notorious character. Um, but they, they boycotted. Uh, I I I didn't agree with the boycott. Um, other people did, um, but it's you know everyone makes a, their decisions. Um, I, I personally was worried that if the club was liquidated, the council would have taken the leases and just said, yeah, yeah, you know, we all know the financial situation with local councils at the moment. And Hereford's football ground is in the uh, pretty much in the city centre. So, you know, that easily could have, my worry was it could have been not a football club anymore. Because um, right next to the football club we used to be a cattle market and uh, it's all been redeveloped now. You've got Waitrose and there's Odeon Cinema and a few few nice uh, food chains. So you've got you've got this really nice redevelopment, and then a, a, you know the football ground that's crumbling. <laughs> yeah. So that was my that was my worry um, with, with the council, but luckily council were really good, and they um, you know let the let the new club start, and um, you know and three promotions in a row was great, and uh, just a case of trying to you know get eventually get back in the football league. listening to this Pint of Football podcast. We would like to inform listeners that the content of this podcast has been permitted for use in this podcast only, and the content is from the view of the individuals involved, not Pint of Football. Thank you to Rob Purdy, Matt Healy, and Becky Meadowcroft for sparing their time to help us with this recording. If you have enjoyed this presentation, please feel free to follow us on Twitter at POF underscore reviews on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash pint of football. Uh, we also have a website, pintoffootball.co.uk, I believe. And we have recently joined Twitch where we will be streaming Football Manager and that's twitch.tv forward slash pint of football. Thank you very much. Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.